So I have covered a lot of criminal cases over the years. I've commented on a lot of criminal cases over the years. And most of these cases never go to trial. Upwards of 90% never go to trial. Somebody takes a plea. Occasionally, someone actually chooses to roll the dice and actually go to trial. I give credit, by the way, to anybody who chooses to go to trial in this day and age. I really do. Because the easy thing to do is avoid a trial and take a plea. The easier thing to do is to, instead of going to trial, become a cooperating witness or a confidential informant for federal prosecutors, because more often than not, they will then be willing to look the other way on whatever crimes you've committed. Now, in the trials that I have observed, almost all of them have featured informants and cooperating witnesses playing a central role. And on more than one occasion, I have seen cooperating witnesses lie under oath. I've seen them repeatedly perjure themselves. And there's very little repercussions, if any, for these lying informants. Somebody that wants to change some of that is Dominic Crea. Dominic Crea is an interesting guy. He is a uh, podcaster and the founder of something called Justice Technology Professionals. Dominic, it's been uh, too long. Good morning. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Good morning, Frank. Thank you for having me on again, sir. Uh, Dominic, for people that aren't familiar with you, what exactly is Justice Tech Technology Professionals? We're a litigation support firm, which basically means we just assist counsel and the attorneys and their clients to prepare for trial throughout all stages of getting indicted all the way up to trial. So, so if, I, uh, if I'm indicted and I choose to go to trial, my lawyer, uh, he hires your team and you guys help prepare for the trial. That, that's correct. Okay. Uh, and you got a great YouTube channel. People could just search Justice Tech Pros and you do some great videos on there. Now, you also have a pretty personal connection with the criminal justice system, don't you? That's correct. What is that? Uh, yes. The last case I was involved in was my uh, father's case. And he went to trial with three other gentlemen. And uh, unfortunately, they were wrong, wrongfully convicted. And a lot of that conviction was attributed to informants who were getting on the stand and telling out and out lies. And the reason I knew they were lying is because a lot of the um, statements were contradicting to the facts of the case, to a lot of the discovery evidence. And then to even go further with that, after the trial, uh, several of these informants started podcasts and they would go on the podcast and tell stories. And a lot of their stories that they were telling, again, conflicted with 302s and proffer sessions and trial testimony. If people don't know, a 302 is um, is basically an FBI agent's notes about conversations that he has with informants. They're recorded in something called a 302, and then that's disclosed to the defense. So then if they tell a different story on the stand or in the public afterwards, um, you know that they told the FBI agent they were speaking to a, a different story. Now, uh, your father's in prison now? Uh, correct. And how long is his prison sentence? Uh, it's, it's a life sentence. Him life and sentence. the three other gentlemen who were uh, mm-hmm. found guilty. All right. Well, um, I, we'll, we'll talk about your father's case another day. But sure. what is the problem with how cooperating witnesses and informants are used 
in the criminal justice system today. I think, and look, I, I have a, a history, rightly so, and a reputation as being very pro-defense, but I think everybody, even the staunchest pro-defense person, recognizes that you do need to use cooperating witnesses and confidential informants from time to time to have some knowledge about what goes on when it comes to criminal activity, especially especially conspiracies. What's the problem with how informants and cooperating witnesses are used today? Well, the problem I'm seeing is uh, the honesty factor. A lot of these in- informants are being promised things of benefits uh, and huge bonuses, so to speak, in exchange for their testimony and, and they're not being held accountable for their for their own issues in exchange for testifying against a higher target. So what's happening is they're making the uh, prize, so to speak, uh, so much so that you're finding a lot of informants that they're just telling the um, prosecutor and their handler what they want to hear. And they're, they're, they're going with facts that aren't accurate. They're out and out lies. They're going with tales that are just tall tales. And they're kind of giving as much information that they can that they think the prosecution wants to hear, not based on reality and not based on fact. Now, when I've watched a lot of criminal trials, when the prosecutor is questioning the cooperating witness on direct examination, towards the end of the testimony, it's the same script every time, you know, um, The prosecutor asks the cooperating witness something like, what is your understanding of what your um, obligation is here today? The cooperating witness says, my understanding of the agreement is that I have to tell the truth. Have you been promised anything for, um, you know, for giving your testimony here today? No. Do you have any expectation of what your sentence will be after your testimony here today? Uh, Answer, always no. Um, what what is your understanding of what will happen if you lie here today? And the cooperating witness always says, like they're reading from a script, it's my understanding that they'll tear up my cooperation agreement. Now, in all of the years of trial watching that I've done, and it's substantial, I have seen witness after witness lie, and not once have I ever heard... A cooperating agreement be torn up. Have um, have you noticed? Have you seen that line of questioning? And have you noticed the same thing? Yes, and also I have a problem with that. You know, shtick that they give. It sounds great that they're not uh, expecting anything in exchange for their return. But on the federal level, the truth is, what happens is they get what's called a five K one letter. And the prosecution gives the 5K1 letter to the judge after their testimony. And basically, it's a glowing review about the informant. They'll tell the judge everything they helped them do, all the high-profile targets they may have helped them uh, convict. So I always say I'd like to see the statistics on what the informant was facing versus what he received, he or she received, after the 5K1 letter was used and was contemplated by the judge. And pretty much 10 out of 10 times that I have seen, that letter has a lot of power in it. So that letter does offer where you see a judge give somebody a slap on the wrist. I mean, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Let's be honest. That 5K1 letter is a get-out-of-jail-free card. Exactly. That's why I think they kind of play with words when they say that to the to the uh, jury and they're saying, well, you're not getting anything in exchange. And that's just not not reality. That's not how it plays out. Uh, No, it certainly is not. Now, but explain that to folks. 
how, if the cooperating witness enters into a, a plea agreement or a cooperation agreement with the prosecutor and the, the FBI and the Department of Justice, how do they then lie and get away with just time served? How does that happen? Explain to the uninitiated who might be listening. Well, what happens is they get on the stand, they tell their story, they put on a good routine, the uh, prosecution will make sure they have many rehearsals, rehearsals uh, sessions where they'll have the informant on and they'll go through the motions, ask them all the questions, dress them up so they really look uh, presentable, they give a good, a, uh, a good performance, and then if they get the conviction then, you know, uh, they, they lived up to their end of the bargain and that will make it into the 5K1 letter. But on the defense side, when you start seeing the contradictions based on motions that were submitted pre-trial, based on discovery where they're saying they had something on tape that they never had. And it, it's a little frustrating in a lot of ways because a lot of these um, uh, uh, discovery information is always housed under a protective order. So you can never really talk about it. So even on my podcast, you know, I can't go into details on certain things where I could explain how I know somebody's lying and compare it to the court transcripts based on the 302s because you can't really talk about those things. But what happened was, which I'm sure you noticed in recent times, you have all these different informants. I think it's almost like the informant playbook where after they're done informing, they want to do a, a YouTube career oh. or a podcast career. And there's podcasts uh, popping up left and right with all these informants. And if you pay attention and you start listening just to the podcasts, you'll see a lot of contradicting stories, a lot of um, events that changed, a lot of details that changed just from listening from their own words within the podcast. And that's kind of what spawned what I'm working on, this We Pushback movement, because it, I started just thinking – well, I, I think this needs to come to light. And it doesn't matter what my opinion is on an informant. That's irrelevant. The, the, the way I feel for the public, at the very least, the public and potential jurors, they want the informant to tell them the truth. That's very important. All right, we're going to talk about the We Push Back in just a second. One of the things that I learned at your website, WePushBack.com, is that, um, and I knew that this was pervasive. I didn't have any idea how pervasive, is you have a link to an article that shows the FBI authorized informants to break the law. Okay, we'll figure this bending of the law when you run around with criminals. The FBI authorized informants to break the law 22,800 times in four years. Is that accurate? That's, that's I, I put the article up, I put the citations up, and it seems to be very accurate. And that's what a part of the website's going to be. It's a hub where you could pull those information. The public could read the statistics, read the different cases. You know, it's uh, it's organic, so it'll be growing. There'll be things that'll be added to it. It's really just to give the public an insight onto what goes on because they're just not aware of these things. I see it even with my podcast. I'll get emails. Oh, I was never aware of that. Uh, you know, I wasn't privy to that information. And I just feel it's very important for the small part I could do, it's really I appeal to the public, potential jurors, so defendants could possibly have a more reasonable juror, a more open-minded juror who will give them a fair shot because they understand the entire picture. And they understand now with this little um, addition to the puzzle, they'll start understanding about informants and they'll, and they'll really digest who's in front of them a little bit more uh with quality. They'll be able to understand the persons in front of them. They, they'll just have a little background to not 
automatically assume everything out of their word is gospel. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dominic Crea. He's launched a new website called WePushBack.com uh, that's trying to push back against the way informants and cooperating witnesses are able to get away with brazen dishonesty to help send people to prison while getting a get-out-of-jail-free card for their own crimes. Now, Dominic, we um, we know of a lot of the top echelon informants, people like Whitey Bulger, Greg Scarpa, Frankie Blue Eyes Sparacco, people that were able to commit horrible crimes uh, with the consent and in some cases the assistance of their FBI handlers. Uh, we've also seen other instances where informants, the, the recent plot, and I, that's air quotes, plot, to kidnap the governor of Michigan comes to mind, where informants are actually the tip of the spear in getting a criminal conspiracy going. From what you've observed, how often are the informants, the people that are working with and in some cases being paid by the federal government, how often are they the ones that are actually the tip of the spear to get a crime started? Oh, very often. In the, in the few cases I've I've worked on, they were pretty much the wheel that started everything going. Uh, they're, they're the ones who were going out there and initiating the crimes a lot of the time. Um, in the last case I was on, you have informants on tape actually trying to convince people to get involved in drug dealing. And you hear the defendants on tape, I want nothing to do with that. And they're pushing the issue. So I've seen it play out a few times on, on several cases I was involved in. And... Are informants paid generally? Yes. Um, uh, again, one of the cases I was involved, they were going over, when the defense had the informants on the stand and they were going over cross-examination, they were rambling off all the numbers that they were receiving. And we're talking big numbers, hundreds of thousands. You have informants who uh, the government was paying their child support, paying their rent, paying for automobiles, paying for their travel. You're talking all different expenses. One informant uh, on tape that was paid in trial was talking to the talking to the agent through his wire how he wants to get a, a cashmere sweater and they're negotiating about getting him a cashmere sweater I, i've seen it all do we have any idea how much the fbi or the taxpayers spend paying informants no everything i've seen they keep that pretty much low key the last article uh, that i found with some numbers which i posted on the site was from 2014 and it was over half a billion dollars that were spent on the uh, confidential informants i don't know what it is now we're in 2022 i haven't seen any current numbers but that was the last big figure that i saw that was spent in one year so what exactly is WePushBack.com? Explain that to our listeners and explain what you're trying to achieve exactly. Absolutely. Ba basically, I had my podcast for two and a half years. You and I spoke about it in the past. And uh, within the last, I would say, um, 10 months, about 10 months ago, I started noticing channels popping up. There was different channels popping up that were focusing on the informants, uh, which I referred to earlier, all these different informants who have their podcasts. And you had a lot of these littler channels popping up and they were just pointing out the inconsistencies and the lies based on things they have seen, based on past episodes, maybe that the informant has done, interviews, because they're all over, they're trying to be famous. So they're doing a lot of interviews. So a lot of individuals were just doing their own podcast, calling out all these different inconsistencies and basically uh, calling them out on, on their on their nonsense and talking about it 
and bringing it to the public's attention. So there were several of these podcasters. So I figured a good way that's a win-win for everybody is I wanted to create a hub. And what the hub would be is the wepushback.com. And it would bring people because now you have different platforms. Now you have all the content creators on YouTube or on different podcasts. Now you're, you're entering the arena in the web space where you're just gaining more traffic. You get an SEO result, you're bringing people to this hub. So now when they go to the hub, they could see all the different members, see all the different content. People get new listeners, new subscribers listening to their content, all while bringing attention to this issue. And also, which was very important to me, is I wanted to give um, those impacted by these lying informants a voice. So they could call if they want to come and contradict something, if they want to come and talk about something. Because if you listen to a lot of episodes these informants do, I mean, not only do they put people away, then they go on these episodes, they bash defendants. Right. I hear them laughing at people. Mm-hmm. I I heard one informant. They also destroy- laugh about the victims sometimes, right. their own victims. That's right. That's right. And, and you hear them laughing about how crazy they are. You know, they all got to say how they're so tough and they're killers and they kill everybody. It's really just a big like bluff session. And it's disturbing when you hear it. And you have all these families, you have family members of the defendants affected, and they have to sit there and hear lies about their family members being mm-hmm. told day in, day out, people being made fun of. And I figured, okay, no matter how flat you make a pancake, it's always got two sides. So it's time for the, for the other side to be heard. Uh, so basically what WePushBack.com is, is a central hub that serves as, if I have a YouTube channel uh, where I expose the lies of an informant, you would house it or link to it on WePushBack.com. And it, well, it's not just for that. It's really about the ideology. A lot of our channels that are part of our hub do things that aren't even related. We And I think that adds the value of it because we'll have channels that talk about music. We have channels that talk about mental health. There's a channel that uh, the gentleman just focuses on helping kids. But the overall theme, they'll hashtag we push back. They'll bring it up every once in a while and the impact. And what I like about that is just not constantly, you know, then it turns into white noise. If you have all these podcasts just talking about the same thing day in, day out, it's white noise. It gives a different spectrum. So it brings in viewers, it brings in the public, and the overall goal is to just give the public the information. Just let the public go listen to the two different sides and then decide with where they where they feel who's telling the truth and who is not. So the hub kind of draws everybody in. It brings everybody to the different content creators that are members. And all that we have in common, we all align with the same core belief. We may not agree with informants. We may not like the concept of, you know, uh, not being accountable and you want to distribute somebody else to take the fall for something you may have done. But the bottom line is the lies are the problem. When they're not telling the truth, they're putting people away based on their lies. We all come together based on that. And this is in its infancy stage. It's only a few months old and it's building. We're getting members. We sent out, I sent out a bunch of um, t-shirts with, with, with the website on it to bring traffic. We have listeners and um, supporters posting pictures all over social media, wearing the shirts. We push back. So it's just right now it's in the infancy stages where we're just bringing attention to it. And, and it's organic. I'm sure it will grow. We'll be using the hub for different things. And the overall theme is really just bringing attention to the criminal justice system, how it works, what goes on with these lying informants, how it impacts defendants in hopes that 
the public starts gaining knowledge and starts when they sign up for jury duty, they take it seriously Mm. and they have an open mind. Is there a risk that this could lead to a sort of Internet vigilantism with certain witnesses who some people claim are not telling the truth being terrorized by, you know, by, you know, by everybody? I don't know, by their neighbors or anybody else? Well, it, it goes both ways. I mean, there's a risk right now of of family members, defense te- defendants getting abused, getting tormented. You got to see the comments that they leave under all these informants' uh, pages, abusing people, calling people murderous, low lives, without even knowing the facts of the case, just going by what the informants say. So they've been on here for years and years doing that. Now, if we're just giving another side to it. And we're just saying, okay, that's their story. We're going to show that they're not telling the truth. Mm. We're going to show the inconsistencies. We're going to show their true persona because that's another thing. In court, they always try to put on their best behavior. But when you see them on YouTube, it's a whole different personality. And and I know I'm going to face a lot of adversity. I already have. you got to see some of the comments I get. I had an informant uh, spiral out of control. He went on another podcaster's uh, uh, show. Uh, who's uh, an informant supporter, and that's fine. That's what he does. And on the show, he's actually saying they want to have RICO charges against myself wow. and the whole the whole We Push Back movement. Wow. Uh, and and, and but, I find that funny because for all these years, nobody pushed back on them. They've just been talking. By the talk, way, there's never been a problem. Dominic, and we're almost out of time here, yes. but this is totally nonpartisan, right? You could be a Republican, a Democrat, liberal, conservative, and, or, and embrace the notion of holding informants accountable, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, very quickly, for everybody. before we run out of time, this was the word from uh, legendary Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz on the We Push Back movement. In my uh, almost 60-year experience as a criminal defense lawyer, I have learned um, that um, lying informants are unfortunately all too common in our criminal justice system. Um, These informants not only sing, they often compose. uh, They make up stories because implicitly prosecutors send a message. Sometimes it's not an explicit message, but a message, the better your information for us, the more we can do for you. And this inclines uh, many, many informers to elaborate on their story, to make up information about innocent people. And it's very important to expose this and to um, uh, let juries and judges and legislatures and the general public know about the dangers of using of using informers. Um, you know, informers' information should really always have to be corroborated by a non-informer testimony or documentary or other uh, evidence. Even that's often not enough of a protection because. A smart informer can tailor his or her testimony to the existing true evidence and just make it stronger and more pro-prosecution. So, um, look, nobody wants to see the innocent uh, falsely convicted. Our system literally goes back to the Bible and to Blackstone, better ten guilty go free than one innocent be wrongly confined. The extensive use and promises to informants uh, undercuts that uh, traditional 
approach to criminal law. So it's important to fight back against it. Dominic, uh, sounds like quite an endorsement there. Um, please keep us posted on this and uh, let us know uh, any news that develops in the We Push Back movement. Absolutely. And as always, thank you very much for having me on, Frank. Sure thing. It's my pleasure. Check out the website, wepushback.com. If you know of somebody that has a, a podcast or a YouTube page or a blog that uh, fits with this, maybe you hook up with these guys, wepushback.com. I'll take your calls next, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. 